logic, science, and common sense have blazed the trail to humankind's triumphs. But oh, how we love to wander off that bright path toward the campfire shadows to hear legends of things that go bump in the night. The mysterious and the implausible, from bizarre tales that gained traction in the 2016 presidential campaign to macabre old legends of the supernatural, are irresistible. Each month, more than two and a half million people tune into Aaron Mankey's podcast, Lore. He drills far into the factual origins of unsettling tales of vampires, lost adventurers, premature burials, spiritual powers, spectral sightings, dream coincidences, and witchery. This year, Lore is being adapted into an Amazon TV anthology series, bringing the visual to the oral. Mankey muses about how humans always believe that a good scare is a good idea. How did you get interested in this subject? For me, scary stories go back to grade school, probably fifth grade. I remember having a a writing teacher, and uh, it was probably October, early October. She assigned us a short story that we had to handwrite. So I wrote a scary story because that's what I was interested in. Um, And that that love has stayed with me ever since. I have an undergrad degree in in psychology. That kind of colors how I I look at things. You know, I I think about what are people's motivations, how do people... Uh, make decisions and process the experiences they go through. So, so what have been your influences since then? I love the works of Stephen King, Neil Gaiman. Um, I, I think that both of them get, I don't know, kind of lumped into a, uh, you know, that Stephen King's a horror writer and Neil Gaiman writes in the fantasy world. And, you know, I think they bring a lot of humanity to the table. They're full of stories of humans who are put into extraordinary circumstances and have to find their way out of them. So by the end of The Shining, I don't really care whether Jack Torrance gives in, whether he fights back, he's killed, or he wakes up and it's just all been a dream, right? I I just want to know what's on the next page. Of your podcast, do you have one or two that are favorites of yours? Uh, there's an episode called Half Hanged about a woman named Mary Webster. And her story feels very modern in the sense that this was the, the late 1600s. She was in colonial Western Massachusetts. But she was a woman who spoke her mind. She wasn't very religious. And um, all of these qualities didn't fit in with what people expected women to do in the late 1600s. And because of that, she wasn't very well liked. And Back then, if you didn't like somebody, it was very easy to just label them a witch and let hysteria take over from there. And she was acquitted of of accusations of being a witch uh, in Boston. And about a year later, a town elder became sick, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. So they decided that it was because Mary had cursed him. And some of the local men literally walked to her house, dragged her outside of her door, and then hanged her in the tree. What I love about the story is that um, they they cut her down, they walked away, and the next morning she got up and walked away from it. She had somehow survived hmm. in what feels like the biggest middle finger you could think of to a town that doesn't like you. Um, and she she had family, and that family eventually moved to Canada, and Margaret Atwood is a descendant of Mary Webster. Really? And, um, One of my yeah, favorite novels. she wrote a poem called Half Hanged Mary. There's 12 stanzas about the 12 final hours of her life. 
or what should have been the 12 final hours. And it ends with this line that says, I wasn't a witch before, but now I am one. If you thought I had magic before, I just walked away from the hangman's noose. There's something modern about it in this, you know, how we still, in, in our own ways, we still drag the others of our society out and, and string them up in a tree in a figurative way. We haven't matured. We haven't gotten better in those 300 years. We still do it. Mary's story gives you hope because she managed to survive that and, and escape that. And uh, there's power in that. I have chills. That's my job. <laughs> uh, in the last year with this election, have you seen anything that puts you in mind of the kind of human behavior you see repeating itself in your work? Mm. We certainly haven't seen the best of humanity in the last year. That's probably a safe thing to say. You know, we it's almost like people have been given permission to fall back on, you know, deep prejudices and uh, knee-jerk reactions. I think that some people look for permission to do that, and that's why we see more of it in the last year than we have in a very long time. And to think what ifs about the future, that we could be taking steps backwards, and that's, that's pretty frightening. And I tell stories like that for a living. So, <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your novels. For my novels, I like to dig into New England folklore, uh, mythology, the superstitions, the things that are unique to this part of the country that was originally... What I was trying to do when I created lore was sort of a happy accident that came out of that. Was there one incident that made you think, you know, there's a podcast in all of this? I had read that if you want to grow the readership of your book, it's good to be connected to them over email. So if you can build an email list where you can reach out periodically and say, hey, I have a new book, you should go buy it. So I, I thought, well, nobody just gives their email address. They, they need an incentive to do that. And I, I created this nonfiction document that I would give them as a PDF. That were, it was going to be my five favorite New England folktales with a historical yet spooky bent to them. I wrote four of the five. I looked at the word count and I panicked because it had gotten so big that <laughs> I personally wouldn't have the time to sit down and read it, especially a PDF. And uh, I, I had that literal moment of dragging the file to the trash can on my desktop. And then I just hovered there for a second and I thought, you know, I don't read a lot of books because I, I do audiobooks. That's how I li- that's how I take in my content is through audio. So my plan was to just record these five essays as sort of a homebrew audiobook and give that away. And I had no idea that it would work as a podcast until I let a friend listen to the very first one. And he said, you should put this out as a podcast. And I gave it some brief thought and, and then just jumped in with both feet. Love is kind of crazy with a spooky little girl like you. Spooky. You won an award for a history podcast, which is interesting considering some of the stories that you do. Do you consider yourself a historian? I'm a, I'm an armchair historian, but I do like to find stories that have, you know, a lot of um, provenance or, you know, that there are written record very close to the events that happened. And obviously when you get into the realm of ghost stories, people can record their sightings or whatnot, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Um, but I, you know, I try to avoid things that have, all they have to prove their existence is a Reddit post or, you know, a, a, a meme that, that hangs around the internet for a while. So, you know, I, I, I probably won't touch on things like Slender Man, um, but, you know, the story of, an Irish woman being burned alive by her husband because he thinks she's a changeling replaced by the elves. 
I mean, it's a real event that really happened, and there's that's compelling. You've been doing this long enough. You must have a sense of why it is we like to scare ourselves virtually. Um, in some ways, I think it's because it's nice to know that someone else's life is worse off than ours. I think that might be the root of why people rubberneck on the highway when you drive by an accident. Part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that we're just glad it wasn't us. At the same time, I do think that scary stories help us feel like we're alive. You know, it, 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 the heart racing, that adrenaline rush, it, it, it reminds us that everything's working. There's enough scary stuff in the world right now. And uh, these are moments of escapism. However much rooted in true facts, I try to find the stories that are. Has it changed your views of the nature of humanity or human history? It's a lot easier to look at strangers and wonder, knowing the potential that people have toward the weird, the violent, the, the tragic, um, for, for what they believe are very, very good reasons. I mean, obviously, to some degree, I'm studying ghost stories and um, true crime and weird, unknown creatures, but at the same time, I'm studying people and why in the world we share those stories. It's, it's tough sometimes, you know, to be on an airplane and you just look around and wonder, right? <laughs> and, and for you, do you subscribe more or less now to the Hamlet quote that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy? Well, I, I do know that we're really good at looking for reasons, just as, as humans. We want to explain why something happens. You know, early, early on it was, well, why in the world does that yellow thing come up from the you know, the horizon and kind of sail through the sky and then disappear. And then we made stories that explain that. And, and then eventually science explains a lot of things. But, but there, are, there are still a lot of stories that, that science hasn't touched on or, or that science ever could touch on. And it does make you wonder. And um, there, I think mystery adds texture to life. And so to try to explain everything away with rationality would probably create a life that has a lot less flavor in it. The podcast is really basic. You tell a story and there's some music. There's no reenactment. Was that a deliberate decision on your part, just to keep it something like sitting around a campfire telling stories? If you've ever been to New England, there's a, a lot of old homes. You know, my house isn't the oldest in the area, but my office is angular with horsehair plaster and hardwood floors and sharp-edged furniture. So my first recordings were really echoey and, and tinny, and the music was you know, in a lot of ways, like what an Instagram filter does to a bad photo, you know, kind of makes it look a little bit better. The music took a little bit of the tin and a little bit of the echo out of my voice and made the made the recording palatable, I guess. Looking back, it makes sense that it's it's part of the mood. It's part of the environment. How do you see it transitioning to the visual now? You know, it's certainly going to be a new sort of television show. And with lore, we, you know, we, I think we plan to take some risks. We're blending high-quality, dramatic retellings of these true historical stories with unique and helpful documentary elements that bring context to the story. Woven through all of that will be narration um, in a lot of the same way that the podcast has, um, you know, and tying it all together, um, moving people like a tour guide from, from station to station. Aaron Mankey, thank you so much. Oh, very welcome. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The music is Charles Gounod's Funeral March of a Marionette, Edvard Grieg's In the Hall of the Mountain King, 
and Spooky by the Classics Four on the Imperial label, and Leonard Bernstein conducted the French National Orchestra in the Hector Berlioz Symphonie Fantastique. I am Pat Morrison.